Well, as we've been working through the Genesis uh, narratives um, and, and we're in this three-year journey through the Bible, um, we have this week and next week in Genesis. And we're only like in chapter 22, right? So today we're, we're gonna be uh, grabbing just three snapshots of Isaac, uh, of Jacob, and, and then next week we'll look at Joseph. Uh, but today we're looking at, at this idea that God's plan cannot be hindered. That despite the mess that God's called people make of things, because we make a mess of things, God's plan prevails. You know, if you just kind of honestly read through these family stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you, you discover that God called a family that didn't have it all together. These guys are messy. They consistently lie to save themselves. Their home life is dysfunctional. Think Sarah, Hagar, uh, Rebecca, Leah, Rachel, the whole group of them. And how they interact and their kids struggle with one another in ways that go way beyond just simple sibling rivalry. Like, I don't know about you, but I haven't had any of my siblings, I think maybe Daniel wanted to, maybe in high school, you know, chuck me in a well and sell me into slavery. That's pretty extreme. But this is the family that God chooses to work through. As we read these stories, we wonder how God's plan is going to become a reality to bless all nations, but if his covenant partners are so fickle and sinful and dysfunctional. But then we get up and we rub our eyes and we look in the mirror. And we see maybe some things that are just a bit too uncomfortably familiar. See, God's plan doesn't depend on us having it all together or having a home life free of struggle and conflict and dysfunction. God's plan and purposes will be fulfilled in and through his people because of who he is, not because of who we are. Let's stand together. We're going to read three sections, three short kind of vignettes out of these stories. We're going to start in chapter 26, verses 7 to 11, and we'll go from there. When the men of the place, this is Gerar, heard about, asked him about his wife, he said, she's my sister, this is Isaac. For he feared to say my wife, thinking, lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. And so Abimelech called Isaac and said, behold, she's your wife. How could you say she's my sister? Isaac said to him, because I thought lest I die because of her. And Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people saying, whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Well, the story continues and Isaac and Rebekah have two boys and they fight from the womb all the way through life. Jacob flees 
eventually ends up uh, with uh, his uncle, and he ends up marrying two of his cousins, accidentally, not by his plan. And the first one, Leah, is not loved. Uh, Jacob didn't want to marry her. It was kind of forced upon him. He just kind of shockingly woke up the day after the wedding and there she was, wrong woman in my bed. Strange story. (laughs) Here we are. Chapter 29, 31 to 35 picks up her story a bit. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son and said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, oh, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore she His name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. Well, Jacob spends a good 20 years in in Haran with Laban and his two wives. And if you read the rest of chapter 30, he ended up having kids with their servants as well. So that's a bit of a, Crazy situation. Uh, Finally, he heads back home and he's gonna face Esau, his brother, whom he cheated out of his birthright, stole the blessing. And Esau is coming at him with 400 armed men and, 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 and he's fearing for his life. And so he sends a bunch of presents and he sends his family across the river and he stays on the other side of the river for the night and we'll, we'll talk about that in a bit. And then... He has a wrestling match. Chapter 32, 24 to 32. Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. And this is the word of the Lord. So again, very interesting little vignettes and stories about God's chosen family. The first story is, 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 is of Jacob's lie and his deception to save himself, to save his own skin. And, and we, we see in this that God's plan continues despite sin and deception. Self-protection is, is something of, of a knee-jerk natural response to, to a crisis or to a threat. We want to protect ourselves and our own interests. 
Almost 16 years ago now, I think it was in December, uh, 2015, so it was just before Cadence was born in January, uh, we were driving back from Surrey to Mission where we lived, and they were doing a bunch of construction at one of these overpasses into Abbotsford, and I, I pulled up and had to wait a long time at a construction red light. You know those things, they're on timers, they're not on any pressure sensors, so it was like 10 minutes of red light. And then I turned left, go over the overpass, and I'm shoulder checking to see if I should change lanes, and I missed the next red light and slammed T-boned into a minivan carrying another family. First thing that went through my head, oh, this is gonna cost us a lot of money, I can't afford this. My wife's eight months pregnant and my three-year-old's in the back seat and the first thing I think about is how much it's gonna cost me. That's pathetic, I know. But isn't it funny how when we hit a, a situation, sometimes our, our knee-jerk reaction isn't about the people around us, it's how is this going to affect me? And, and this is what Jacob's up against here. He's not thinking about how this situation is going to affect his wife, he's thinking about saving his own skin. So he lies and he deceives. Isaac is concerned about protecting himself, not his family, not his wife. He is willing to risk her being taken in order to save himself. And if you just go back a few verses, God's already promised him, don't go to Egypt like, you're, like Abraham did because there's a famine in the land. Stay here, go to Gerar, settle there. I will be with you. I will protect you. Isaac's like, I think I'll take my own steps for my own protection. Thanks God, but I think I've got this. But the, it's fascinating. This is like Genesis 12, Genesis 20. Abraham did the same thing, like father, like son. And in those situations, God directly intervenes. Here in this situation, Abimelech puts the pieces together and things don't progress as far as anyone taking her as a wife. And note this, the Philistine king... Abimelech acts righteously in this scene. He confronts the wrong, he confronts the lie, and he protects Isaac and Rebekah. It seems he remembered the shared history more than Isaac did. And I think the author of Genesis is wanting to see that when God's chosen people continue to doubt and to struggle, God will remind them what he has done to provide for them. And sometimes it's going to come through an unexpected source. And this source, in this case, is a pagan Philistine king. You know, this, this is like the perennial enemy of Israel. And yet he's the one who sees what's going on. Now, of course, the, the, the ES, you know, how did he figure this out? Well, he looked out his window and he saw them laughing together. The verb kind of does go with the Isaac thing. It's kind of the same thing, but you know, the Hebrew Bible's pretty reticent on any kind of touchy-feely stuff. But he sees it and he goes, there's no way that this is just your sister. Why are you lying to me? To protect yourself? Yeah. Okay. You could have destroyed us. This could have brought great harm on us. I think he's remembering... Whether this is, uh, you know, this is a number of, of years and a generation later, so uh, 
Typically in the ancient Near East, a king handed his name down. The next king was just named after his dad or his grandpa. So this is probably a different Abimelech, but he's probably heard the stories from, uh, that we have in, in Genesis uh, 20 where, where this exact same thing happens and God strikes them and intervenes. And, and God says he appears to Abimelech in a dream, this older Abimelech, and he says, hey, behold, you're a dead man because of this woman whom you've taken, for she is a man's wife. And Abimelech had, no, had not approached her. And so he said, Lord, will you kill innocent people? Do not, did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. And then God said in the dream, yes, I know that you have done this in integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. So God intervenes directly in that situation. Here, there, it, he's, he's not really present in this situation, but you can see that Abimelech remembers. And he's like, hold up here. Because this could have undermined, again, like uh, whether they've had the boys at this time, there's some question about the order of, of the chapters here. Um, but the promise is under threat. The family that God chose to work through was under threat. And so this pagan king protects and remembers the shared history and steps in. And God's plan continues despite sin and deception. The second story, we'll tie these together at the end. Second story over in chapter 29. The main point here is that God's plan continues despite family dysfunction. Like this is a pretty messed up story, isn't it? Like Isaac, uh, 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 Jacob gets to, to, to Paran, and he, he sees Rebecca, she's beautiful, falls in love with her. You know, says, hey, you know, and, and his uncle's like, hey, why don't you stay with us? And he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll work for you. And he's like, well, what can I, how can I pay you? And he's like, I really want to marry your daughter. And he's like, okay, seven years of work. Here we go. And then you can marry her. And he finishes the seven years of work. And they have the big uh, celebration, the wedding party. And I don't know how all it works, but somehow Jacob didn't clue in that whoever was behind that veil wasn't Rebecca, but he didn't. And he wakes up the next morning and behold, there's Leah. And he's like, what have you done? What have you done to me? I, I worked for seven years for this. And what, is it, what does Laban say, his father-in-law? Well, you know, get, just, just kind of work, do, do, do your stuff this week, you know, have the wedding week. And then at the end of the week, you can have Rebecca too, but in exchange for another seven years of work. So within a week, like, like Leah's got one week as the only wife. And then the challenges begin. Challenges have already begun because Jacob does not love her. Jacob's home life gets off to a horrible start and it didn't improve much. It starts in deception. Laban, Jacob, <laughs> Jacob. The deceiver, the heel grabber, got, got, got what was kind of, you know, got it back his way. Leah's marriage is one of duty and tradition, according to Laban. Hey, we don't marry the older off before the younger, so, you know, it's just a matter of procedure, not a big deal. <laughs> wow, eh? 
But Leah longed for love. She longed for acceptance and belonging. Her desire for Jacob was actually and truly to be loved, honored, and cherished. Now, her desire is not wrong. Her desire is natural and good. Her means of trying to win Jacob, Jacob's love, however, wholly dysfunctional. I mean, ask any couple who've decided, you know what, we're, we're on pretty rocky soil. We're probably going to get divorced. Let's have a kid and it'll fix it all. I'm, Colleen's not here, but any marriage counselor would say that's a bad idea. Her first three sons were seen by her as what? Mere tools to get what she wanted. Oh, this is, this is behold, I have a son. He's looked on my affliction. Now my husband will love me. Oh, no, that didn't work. Next son, oh, God has heard of my affliction. Now my husband will love me. Again, she conceived. Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I've borne him three sons. Her first three sons are born with the hope that she'll get what she wants from Jacob, the love and the cherishing and the honor. But she's disappointed at each turn. Her first three sons were seen as mere tools, people to be used to secure her own desires. And, and, and when we live and we function in our families to just kind of meet our own needs and our own longings and our own emptiness, it just turns into dysfunctional relationships. You know, but there's a glimmer of hope in this passage too because God is still at work. Leah moves a bit from pain to faith in this story, at least for a moment. Now read the rest of chapter 30, it doesn't last long. But her fourth son, Judah, is simply named because at this moment she's abandoned her goal and simply says, this time I will praise the Lord. And it's not insignificant that this is Judah. Judah who will be the blessed son, Judah who will be the one from whom David descends, the one through whom Jesus Christ comes. Because she's at this point just said, I'm just going to praise God for what he's given me. Leah, the unwanted, unloved wife, longs for a place of belonging and the love of her husband. She lives in a constant state of tension and pain with her sister now and the rest of the family. But notice that God's purposes are being fulfilled in this moment in a way that Leah can't see. Levi, Judah. If she could see the whole story, like we can, she would see that her descendants will include Moses and Aaron, Miriam, leaders of God's people to bring God's people out of slavery and bondage. The special priesthood of Israel, David the king, and ultimately Jesus the Messiah through whom all nations will be blessed. God chose the broken, the outcast, and the unloved to bear the Savior. To bear the children who would form the foundation of Israel's worship through whom God would speak and lead his people. He doesn't choose the awesome, he chooses the broken. 
and he works amidst pain and suffering for his purposes. And does Leah ever get loved by Jacob? Does this pain in her heart ever go away? You know, God doesn't promise to remove our pain, but he does promise to redeem it. How and when and why he does that is in his hands. But in this moment, Leah chose to praise God in her pain and her struggle. And she received Judah as a gift from God, not as a tool to further her agenda. And that made all the difference in her heart. God's plan is unhindered and continues despite family dysfunction. Well, the story continues. Jacob has a bunch of kids, 12 boys in all, and a daughter. That's a messy chapter if you want to read that, chapter 30. He gets prosperous. As soon as Rachel bears a son, he says, okay, I can get out of here now. <laughs> and he flees from Laban and he kind of swindles them out of a whole bunch of flocks and herds and the best of the cattle. And uh, eventually, you know, he's, he's on his way back to, back to Canaan. Laban catches up with them, says, hey, you stole some of my household gods. And in a really funny story, this household god is hidden under a blanket. Actually, Rebecca's part of this. The loved wife is also the idolater. But eventually, they catch up, they make a deal, and, and they make a covenant, and they part ways on good terms. And then Jacob is approached by two angels who say, hey, your, uh, your brother's coming, 400 armed men with him. Oh boy, now what? Well, Jacob tries to work this out. He's like, okay, my brother's really mad. The last time I saw him, he wanted my head. So I'm just going to assume that's the same deal what, what, what's going on here. So I'm going to send a bunch of servants with a bunch of cattle, and they can go in waves. And if the first one gets killed, then maybe the, you know, the second one can get away, and so on it goes. And, and so he tries to, you know, to, to appease Esau by all these gifts and even the message that he sent uh, gave them to say, you know, uh, my Lord Esau, your servant Jacob. So Jacob's trying to put himself, you know, in a, in a servant role so that his older brother doesn't come and kill him. But if you look at what Jacob does here, just before we get to the wrestling match, it's rather interesting because, again, Jacob's just trying to save his own skin. So he sends all of these servants and all of these animals and then just before the, you know, night falls, around the evening, he gets up and he gets his family and they cross the river. And then Jacob goes back and spends the night on the other side of the river by himself. Now, think of a map here. The Jabbok is a tributary of the Jordan River, runs east and west. Jacob's coming from the south. Esau's coming from the, no, Jacob's coming north, heading south, and Esau's coming the other way. And you got this creek. Jacob has already sent servants and gifts down south. Now, just at nightfall, he takes his family, puts them on the other side of the river, and spends the night alone. So where is everybody in relation to Jacob? 
the other side of the river. So there's Esau coming. There's the servants, the gifts, Jacob's family, a river, and Jacob. He is the most protected guy in the whole bunch. Even his wives and his children are in front of him. So he can run. So he can get up, and if he hears an attack on his family's camp, they still got to cross the river. I can hear it from across the river. I can get out of here even if they all die. And then we get the wrestling match. And the result of that wrestling match is there's no way Jacob's running this time because now he can't even walk. See, God continues to work as he changes people. And here he had to physically change Jacob so he would stop running and face his stuff. Jacob is acting completely in self-interest and protection. The main point of this whole stranger wrestling match is that Jacob needs to change. He cannot continue to be a swindler, a scoundrel, a heel grabber, and self-centered. That has marked his life since his conception. Things have to change. This key moment is when the opponent asks his name and he answers him, my name is Jacob. Sorry for anybody who has named their kids Jacob. <laughs> or any Jacob that's listening. <laughs> but this is confession time. The man is saying, who are you really? I'm a deceiver and I've lived a life of deception and trickery. Jacob confesses his name and in this moment owns his brokenness. He still clings to God in the midst of his brokenness, clings to this person who has restored him, but he has to say his name. He has to confess his character. Remember in the Bible, it's not just, oh, my name's Jacob just because mom and dad decided to call me Jacob. His name is Jacob because he's a heel grabber, a deceiver. It means it's a connection to his character and he has to own his character in this moment because restoration, freedom, forgiveness, and healing only happens when we own our brokenness and stop allowing it to define us. And owning our brokenness means calling it out clearly, verbally, declaring that our identity is messed up, our hearts are blackened and scarred and sinful and self-centered. Jacob could only experience the blessing after he had been confronted, after he had been broken by God's touch. In reality, he had to admit that he had been limping all along, not physically, but relationally, emotionally, and spiritually. His life has been one deception after another, grasping, grabbing, usurping, lying, cheating, self-centeredness. And he sought to bless himself at the expense of everyone else around him, feeding his family's dysfunction and relational chaos. Again, it's amazing that God chooses the most messed up people you can imagine. And he redeems their brokenness. And he calls them and he continues to work his plan as he transforms their lives. You know, Jacob had arranged everything so he had the best chance of escape. He could run if Esau's attack came. But now disabled and limping, there would be no escape and no ability to run. If Esau attacked, he was a dead man. You see, Jacob was afraid to face his brother and ready to run, but Israel slowly limps into his brother's embrace. 33, three and four, he himself, Jacob, went on before them now. 
Now he's taking the lead. Now he's in front of his family. Now he's leading his family, not hiding behind them. Bowing himself to the ground seven, seven times until he came near his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. See, Jacob was expecting attack and destruction and Esau comes running with reconciliation. You know, the, it's been 20 years. That relationship he thought was just where they left it off. But somewhere in that 20 years, Esau's had a change of heart too. And sometimes in our dysfunctional family dynamics, God's doing something that we can't see, that we don't know. And he may be bringing change in your family right now and you won't see it for a long time. See, Jacob was thinking it was the old Esau. But he meets someone else. He meets a brother who loves him. Jacob tries to hide, but Israel leads. God's plan continues through changed people. Israel is a changed man. But he's going to have his fallbacks. <laughs> We're going to see that. You keep reading the story of Jacob. We won't, get, we won't cover this all, but... Leah has her fallback. She has that one moment of praising God for, for Judah. Jacob has this moment here, but there's other things that happen. And, you know, it's kind of like going to summer camp and you have a great week and you have a, a, an, a, an amazing moment with God, especially Friday night campfire and everybody's sharing how much God has spoken to them and what God is doing in them. And the, the, they're, they're opening up to, to, to God's purposes for their lives. And it's good for a while. Till you get back to school, <laughs> till you get back to the regular routine of life, and it's so easy for us to fall back into old habits and patterns. But you know, that's a beautiful thing about all these passages, is that God continues to work despite our sin and our deception, despite our family dysfunction, and he is still working at changing all of us. So let's tie this together. God's plan continues despite sin and deception, family dysfunction, and it continues through changed people. Each of these stories displays brokenness of humanity and the faithfulness of God. We see Isaac, Leah, and Jacob striving to meet their own needs, dispel their own fears and their own strength and on their own terms, and nothing brings them wholeness and resolution. They are left empty and afraid and unsatisfied. Isaac fears for his life, puts his wife in harm's way, Isaac is willing to sacrifice others for his own safety. He still doesn't trust God's purpose and plan. And the pagan king has to remind him and correct him. Leah's living with rejection and abandonment. Jacob didn't want to marry her, doesn't love her, doesn't want her. She's longing for love, acceptance, and belonging, but she will never get it from Jacob. It is only with the birth of Judas she comes to a place of surrender and worship for what God has given her despite her ongoing pain. The love that she longs for in her marriage will never be found. But when she surrenders this dream, she is free to praise God. And Jacob, still planning on running from his problems because Esau's coming, must face it. And regardless of the barriers he puts up, God meets him, God changes him. God puts a stop to his running and changes him painfully, but changes what he needs most. Jacob needs to stop running. 
and own his brokenness. In our lives, talk through some questions here, our head, our heart, and our hands. In our heads, as we're thinking about this stuff, what sins are we tempted to believe God can't redeem? What sins are we tempted to believe God cannot redeem? You know, the sovereign God is able to use the sinfulness of humankind to further his purposes. He is not surprised when you and I fail. His plans are not upset. There is no way for us to mess up God's plan. We're not that powerful. You know, I remember, I think years ago, I said something like this, and I read it from somewhere else, but it's like, uh, when God called you to himself, he took your stupidity into account. And this is not, this doesn't mean that we should sin freely or that it doesn't matter how we live. Rather, we, when we do sin and when circumstances don't go our way, we know that God is bigger than those mistakes and is able to use them, even the most disruptive of circumstances, for his glory and our good. No, the biblical characters are broken and sinful people, and yet God continues to include and to bless and work through people. And through our brokenness, he reveals his patience and his loving kindness. In our weakness, we find that God is strong and he acts and he works. God can redeem our stories, rewrite our endings, and restore our purpose. The heart, what are some ways that you will express your praise to God for the gift of Jesus? This descendant, the, the, the Lion of Judah, uh, Revelation 5.5. 5. God's care for his people transcends anything that we deserve. This is the God of the universe who can do no wrong, who is holy, who is perfect in every way. He sees our sinfulness. And yet the ways that he cares for us and provides for us are unimaginable. We don't deserve the love and the provision of God. He could have decided that Isaac, Jacob, Leah, Rachel, and all the rest of Abraham's family were just not worth the effort. They were way messed up. Start with someone else, abandon them. But God had made a covenant promise with Abraham. He is the one who keeps his word no matter what. And Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. I am committed to you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. I am with you always to the very end of the age. He promises to stick with us. No matter how messy, dysfunctional, and sinful we are, because God's purposes are about his work, not mine. Our God loves his children so much, he will not allow our sins to get in the way of loving us. God provided our savior through broken people, and this savior is the way we receive God's love and care forever. Well, owning our brokenness is the hard part. And when we get down to what do we do with this, it ratchets it up a bit. What sin or weakness will you confess with others in the church that you may be healed? And these passages of Scripture demonstrate the need for confession of sin, for owning our brokenness, our weakness, and our lies, our deception, our dysfunction. And we do that best not when we just hide them, but when we expose them to the light. And exposing it, part of that is confess your sins one to another so that you will be healed. 
Exposing our weaknesses is a terrifying task. We want to be strong, appear like we have it all together. Yet we are all sinful, broken people and hiding our sins and weaknesses will only hurt those we love. When we let our brothers and sisters in Christ see the truth of who we are, they can come alongside us and encourage us and walk with us in that. If we all recognize that we are broken and weak, then we can expose the struggles, our struggles, to our friends. And by doing so, strengthen our relationship with our family and our friends and with God. This is why things like getting together with two or three other people, studying the word, praying together, confessing your sins to one another is so crucial for your spiritual health. So what sins are you tempted to believe God cannot redeem? What's the brokenness, the dysfunction in, in your life, in your family that, that you feel is just beyond God's reach? God can redeem anything. How will you praise God for the gift of Jesus? And how will you confess your brokenness to someone else? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the fact that the stories of your people are not filled with superheroes, but are filled with broken people who mess up constantly and other than your son, Jesus Christ, I don't think there's a character in scripture that doesn't. And so Lord, we thank you that Jesus Christ came and lived a, lived a perfect life, sold out to your purposes. And he came so that all of the brokenness and the hurt of our hearts could be healed. By your wounds, Lord Jesus, we are healed. So Lord, I would ask that we would just come to you and as best we know how, lay our wounds and our brokenness before you. Confess our sins, the things we have done to protect ourselves, to guard ourselves, to, to, to make sure people don't get at us, our pride. And we would just lay those before you I ask you, Lord Jesus, to, to forgive and to heal and restore. Lord, for those who are experiencing family dysfunction, Lord, we pray for your redemption, your wholeness, and your healing of relationship. You are the God of reconciliation. And so, Lord, may, may those struggling with that rest in in your provision of restoration, of reconciliation. And maybe they need to take the limping walk towards that brother. But there's no guarantees. But we trust that you are working. Father, change us. Thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit who works within us to conform us to the image of Christ. Now, Lord, sometimes we just assume that that's happening. But as Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. And so there's a, it's really a dance that happens in that verse. 
Thank you, Lord, that we can come to you with our brokenness and our hurts and that you bring your transformation and healing. Go with us into this week and help us to love you and praise you despite the things in our lives that cause us pain. And help us to see your hand moving in our lives and the lives of people around us. And we thank you so much, Lord Jesus, for your work here. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Benediction today is from Romans chapter 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Have a great week.